This morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, conscience being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. But take care that, is, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against God, against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The word of God, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chapter 8 of the book of 1 Corinthians. We thank you for the wisdom that you've imparted to us throughout this chapter. And Father, we pray that he would guide our minds and hearts and teach us as we go through and look at this passage in depth. And Lord, I pray that the words I speak be not my own and be not of my own doing, but be of your spirit and glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are examining the entire eighth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now it's relatively short, but nonetheless it's filled with a lot of gold throughout its passages. And if you recall this chapter, as you see this chapter and go through it, you'll recall that it sort of relates back to Romans 13 and 14 when Paul encouraged us all to put others first, that we are to be selfless in how we act as Christians, not be conceited, not be arrogant or puffed up, but we're not to think too highly of ourselves. And hope you all remember that because it's been some time ago, but we took that up in Romans 13 and 14. And Paul, instead, Paul exhorts the Corinthians to love, to love above all things. He exhorts us to love, to love above all things. And as we approach this glorious chapter 13, which is the love chapter in all the Bible, you're going to see this come up over and over and over again with the culmination taking place in chapter 13. So we have Paul pitting two things against each other in this passage. And essentially Paul is pitting pride against love. And he's demonstrating that those two are the opposite or the antithesis 
of each other. <clears throat> Paul was telling the Corinthians that you couldn't have both. That if you had pride, then you didn't have love. And if you truly had love, then you did not have pride. Now this is somewhat unique because when we think of love and we think of the opposite of love, we usually think of what word? Hate, right? That's usually how that opposite comes about. And I don't think that's wrong in believing or thinking that way. However, I believe that a self-centeredness or pride, conceit, or arrogance work within us to produce that hate. And I believe that that's the way it, it all works in our lives. But nonetheless, let's look and see how Paul addresses this issue in this morning's passage. Now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes us arrogant, but love edifies or lifts up. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. You remember back in chapter 6, when Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And I think this is a continuation of that thought process as we've gone all the way through chapter 7, and it's been a while since we dealt with this. He, he sort of circles back around to it, and this is an extension of that pronouncement. The Christians at Corinth had a habit of dining with unbelieving pagans. And you say, well, there was nothing inherently wrong with that, and we're going to see that in a little more detail as we go through this passage. But not only did they have a habit with dining with unbelieving pagans, but they did so at their temples. The temples that were there because of idols that were man-made. And this was causing quite a stir, no doubt, at the church in Corinth at the time. Some were saying, it's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You claim to be a Christian, you shouldn't be associating to the extent that you are actually in the temple that's been dedicated to the idol and eating food that's been sacrificed to that idol. So you had a group in Corinth saying, you shouldn't do it. That is wrong. And yet you have another group saying, no, it's, it's not wrong. It's not wrong at all for us to do that. And they actually wrote to Paul about this that we see in this first verse where he's addressing now concerning the things sacrificed to idols. So this was in a letter that the Corinthians sent to him and he's writing them back to explain the correct position on this matter. Now we don't know exactly what their argument was, but we can glean a lot of their argument from what Paul writes and how he responds in this letter. So in doing so, let us look first at verse 4 because we'll get some insight into what they asked Paul about specifically and how or why they thought it was okay. They thought it was perfectly fine to go to the temples with the pagans and eat the food that they had sacrificed to their idols. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is 
we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. So the foundation of their argument is within this response. And the foundation of their argument was there is no such thing as an idol. They really don't exist. Honestly, all they are are created entities, whether it be a golden calf, whether it be some wooden object. They're just objects that are made from hands of men and women. There's nothing inherently wonderful about them. In fact, they're inanimate. They'll burn. They'll be melted down. They have no power in and of themselves. So the argument of the Corinthians to Paul is like, look, we know... We know that these idols are just objects. They're not gods. They have no power. We believe in the one true God. We don't believe in these idols. But So there's no reason for us not to eat with the pagans in their temples the meat sacrificed to their idols because the idols are just a figment of their imagination and their handy craftsmanship. There's nothing eternal at all about an idol. They had no power. They were nothing more than the wood or metal from which they were made. So these Corinthians, being armed with this knowledge that they had, believed that that was perfectly fine, that it was okay to do that, that they were free to engage with the pagans and partake in their feasts and eat whatever meat that was been sacrificed to these idols, and that was perfectly fine. And so we have this knowledge that they are proclaiming. And they are basically, that is, or this knowledge is the foundation of their entire argument to Paul. They were armed with knowledge. Now, as a sort of an aside here, I believe that this group that was claiming that it was okay that this knowledge that they were using was a pretext for them to be able to enjoy the fun time they were having at the temples, partying up with all the pagans and eating this food. It was a pretext. They were rationalizing why they were doing what they were doing. The knowledge was secondary, but they were using it to justify what they really wanted to do and how much fun they were really having doing all of this. Any of you ever done that? I have, right? We can use our brains in a lot of different ways, and we can use our brains to rationalize almost anything we want to do. But it should be much deeper than that. And just because we rationalize it on some level in our minds doesn't make it right or appropriate. And I think that's what's going on here. Now, Paul doesn't come out and say it. Paul's, I guess, a little more polite to them than I am standing here this morning. He doesn't say that they're merely using this knowledge to rationalize their behavior. So now, armed with this knowledge, we can go back to verse 1. When he says, now concerning the things that are sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We're all intelligent is what he's telling them. But this knowledge that you have tends to do bad things. 
And one of the bad things that it does is it engenders pride within us. It makes us arrogant. But there's something else out there, and there's something that doesn't do that, that's something that's much greater. And what is that something? Love. Love, love builds up, it edifies, to use the term that they, they use here. Now, I don't want you to think that Paul was condemning knowledge or wisdom because he was not at all. He was not condemning knowledge at all. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. Knowledge is a gift from God. And we're going back to those gifts again. There is nothing inherently wrong with knowledge. The same can be said for money. The same can be said for power. The same can be said for beauty. There is nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. They are gifts from God. But problems arise with all of those things, correct? All of those things can lead to pride building up within the possessor. Whether it's knowledge, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's beauty. Why is that? I think it's because of the lack of love that we have for God. Because the true love for God acknowledges them as they are gifts and only gifts. They were given to us by God as a gift to enjoy glorifying and worshiping Him the whole time, realizing that He is the giver of all those gifts. But we're fallen. We're fallen. God bestows knowledge money power and beauty on fallen man as a gift and what do we do we have where we come to think and believe in our minds that we had something to do with it and it is that changing of our thought process that leads to the pride that wells up inside of us because before long we think that we're responsible for how we look in the mirror or we're responsible for our bank account or the knowledge or wisdom that we have, and then we become the most important entity that walks this earth. And Paul says, that's when knowledge makes arrogance. That's when knowledge makes us prideful. But love does something else. Pride and arrogance grow in a fertile field of unbelief. Pride and arrogance grow in a fertile field of unbelief. And that unbelief is denying that God is responsible for whatever it is that he's given us. And suddenly we make ourselves responsible for that. That is the problem. And it arises when we take credit for God's gifts. And that, quite frankly, is the problem that's being examined here this morning. And the lack of love. The lack of love for God and the lack of love from God that overflows to each other. So, when someone says, I'll do anything I want because I'm a free man or a woman, are they really loving their neighbor? Do we really love our neighbor as we're going to see this play out? When we care more about our own freedom or liberty than we do, our neighbor, and how it affects them. 
That was, that was always the problem in the democracy that our founding fathers had, right? Y you had order and you had liberty. And, and you have this group that want liberty at all costs. Well, the problems arise when liberty steps on your neighbor's liberty and you're taking their liberty away because it becomes yours at that time. So the founding fathers realized that there was a problem that you had to have order because without that order there would be no liberty because you end up with only the strongest survive. And so we hear, we see that Paul says, look, you may have that liberty, but you have to conserve that liberty so often for the sake of love for each other. And for everyone around you. If anyone supposes that he knows anything. So Paul's taking this idea of knowledge. That they wrote to Paul. And said look we know that there aren't any idols. That they're useless. And because we know this. We're not worshiping those idols. We're just merely having dinner with a group of pagans. At their temple that has been built. Because of the idols that they worship. So Paul says well there's problems whenever you rely on this knowledge and you proclaim this knowledge because if anyone supposes that he knows anything then you really don't know anything at all true knowledge or wisdom realizes that there is an end to that that we don't know very much but that's humbling to acknowledge that as much as I think I know it's really not very much but Paul's saying that, that's what true wisdom is. That's what a truly intelligent person will really do when you take pride out of the equation. When you remove pride, they're going to say, I have this knowledge, but look, I don't know much about anything for that matter. Conversely, love and the love for God. If, if we love God, then God knows us. Because there is a relationship there between us and God. So love is much more important than any knowledge that we may have. If anyone loves God, then he is known by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, but that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Now, Paul goes through this logic in these three verses, and he explains to them in detail why it's perfectly okay to go to the pagan temple to eat with the pagans the food that was sacrificed to their idols. It's perfectly fine, because we know that there's nothing inherently wonderful in those idols, that they really don't exist. They're just fabricated fig figments of somebody's imagination. That there is only one God and we exist from God and we exist through one Lord being Jesus Christ. That's truth and that's knowledge and that means it's perfectly fine to eat all of these things that have been sacrificed to idols. 
In verse 6, Paul explains to them that there is only one God, and they've already explained that back to Paul, so they're all in agreement here. And everything's looking, I'm quite certain, as they're reading Paul's letter, they're thinking, see, I told you. It is as we said it was. It's perfectly fine. And so when we get to the end of verse 6 here, it's as though Paul has made this wonderful argument that it's all okay. That eating with the pagans in their temples, that sacrifices to idols, perfectly fine. Verse 7, hmm, however, but, that little word, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were a sacrifice to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So we begin verse 7 with that word, however, or but. So he's just gone through a litany of reasons why it's perfectly fine, and then he jumps into verse 7 and pumps the brakes. says, hold on, hold on. It's not, and I'm going to tell you why. You all have the knowledge. You all understand why it's okay, and you've told me, Paul's saying, in this letter that you wrote me. Now I'm going to tell you why it's not. You see, some people are coming from a tradition where maybe their family members or maybe even them went to these temples, believed in these idols, and ate this food sacrificed to those idols. These people actually believed that there was something godly in those idols. They believed that they were something more than wood or, or stone or metal they believed differently and they didn't have the knowledge that you have and these people have a difficult time continuing to eat that food because in their heart they believe that that was wrong it offends them they see it as blasphemous and disrespectful to God And he continues on, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat, but take care that the liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So he tells them, it's just food. It's just food. It's not going to make you known by God. So eating is not going to be helpful. Abstaining from it's not going to be helpful. It really makes no difference here. What will make us known by God? Back up to, lo back up to love in verse 1, right? Love makes us known by God. So it's a difference in sacrifice and self-indulgence. That's the dichotomy that we see played out in this passage. Self-indulgence isn't going to gain us anything in the eyes of God. In fact, it's nothing more than pridefulness. However, sacrifice through love makes us known to God in a very special way. Why is that? Because sacrifice through love is the epitome of Jesus, right? 
I mean, that's, that's, that was his whole life, was sacrifice through love. Selfless sacrifice was the life of Christ. And he gives them a word of caution. Be careful. Be careful that our freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak, does not cause damage to those who don't understand or don't possess that knowledge. And Paul is going to tell them what happens if it does. For if someone sees you, you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat the things sacrificed to idols? Now, he's not saying these are so-called idols in the person that's seeing you eat in their mind. These are real idols. They actually still believe that there's something in those that they don't want any part of. They don't have this knowledge. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. So even though it's not a big deal to you, Paul says, it is a big deal to them. It's a huge deal to them. They are going to think that that is a proper way of being a Christian. Keep in mind, this person doesn't understand that those idols are nothing more than wood, stone, or metal. That they have no power. They come from that. They don't have this wisdom or knowledge that you have. He sees you eating in that temple and eating food in that idol temple that has been sacrificed to that idol and things change in his mind or her mind. He looks to you as a leader in the faith. Someone who is setting an example on how and what to do and how and what not to do as a Christian. And he's going to take that evil that he sees and he's going to incorporate it in his faith. Now we've got something that doesn't resemble Christianity. We've got Christians who go to idol temples and celebrate with pagans and eat the food that was offered and sacrificed to those idols. Now that becomes part of Christianity. And that is messed up. And it is dangerous. So he's worshiping Jesus on one hand and an idol on the other. He doesn't have the knowledge that you have, Paul says. I've used the example, I think I used it when we went through Romans. I've used the example of drinking alcohol, right? And I've, I've talked about that. You've heard me say that I don't believe there's anything inherently wrong with drinking alcohol in moderation. There's everything wrong with getting drunk, okay? It's a sin. We know that straight up. Conversely, there are many people that have a big problem with drinking alcohol because they believe that that is a means to an end of getting drunk. And that is all the knowledge that they have. They don't know that you can sit down socially and have one drink and walk away and that's perfectly fine. They don't have that knowledge or that wisdom. So what happens to that person 
who believes it is nothing more than a means to an end of getting drunk when they see you bellied up to the bar having a drink. They impart their lack of knowledge on you to whom they are looking for guidance in being a Christian. That's dangerous. That can be extremely problematic because what it ends up doing is hurting that person and damages their faith. And we'll see how much damage can be done as we move forward here. Verse 11, as we see, in fact, it can be so dangerous. You have knowledge, he or she doesn't have knowledge, that you destroy their faith. Absolutely shipwreck their faith. They see that happening. They think, well, bellying up to the bar and getting drunk is part of of being a Christian because I see Scott doing that, and I'm good with that now. Do you see how out of line that makes the Christian walk? You see the damage that can be done? So now that person all of a sudden believes it's perfectly fine to belly up and get drunk whenever they want and worship Jesus and the two can go hand in hand when they didn't have the knowledge that drinking a beer was not a means to an end of getting drunk. It was merely having a drink. Dangerous. Can lead to disastrous consequences and have disastrous consequences. Verse 12, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And Paul's saying something interesting here. He's saying that one who is indulging and exercising their liberty is doing something that they may not be intending on doing. They are sinning. They are sinning against their brother who does not have the same knowledge that he or she has. You look at that and you think, wow. Wow. Because we live in a society when I'm going to do how I want and you do you and I do me and we each walk away. It's not what Paul's saying here. Not at all. This is an extremely heavy statement you may think that your actions are between you and God but they have much greater broader consequences in reality you can exercise your liberty but if it causes your brother or sister to stumble you are not only sinning against them but you are also sinning against Christ and because of this dramatic statement Paul makes a conclusion in verse 13. Therefore, if there's any sort of food that causes my brother or sister to stumble, I'll never eat it again. I will sacrifice out of love for my brother and sister more so than I will choose to exercise the liberty that Christ has given me. Because I will not cause my brother to stumble. When we become Christians, we are born again. You remember in John 3, when he says, how can I crawl back? Nicodemus says, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb? 
It's being born again. We are a new creation. And as such, we are born again as little children. We don't have much wisdom with respect to what Christianity is all about. For most of us, it was at the time, it was you're a sinner, Jesus forgives you for your sins, he died for that, and we jump in there. We don't know what really to do and what not to do. And it's a beautiful analogy that's played out in the New Testament. And we see the Christian walk as being somewhat analogous to life, that we are born as babies, and we grow, and we become adults. Now, that analogy has its limitations because it's not a one-for-one type mentality, but as we grow, we become older. And you can see an adult and you can see a baby. And it's the same way with being a Christian, only you can't see it. As time moves on, we hope and pray that we grow in Christ and we become adults in Christ, but we don't have the luxury of being able to look at someone and say, you are an adult in Christ or you are a babe in Christ because, quite frankly, you may be 99 and a babe in Christ and 22 and an adult in Christ. That's where the analogy has its limits. But nonetheless, there is something beautiful in that growing process. Because you will all know, anyone that's ever been around a child, you will all know that children mimic adults. They just do. They talk like you talk, they act like you act. It's no different in the physical world than in the spiritual world. They don't know why you are acting the way you're acting as an adult. They don't have that knowledge They don't comprehend and understand that. They just mimic it. They see what you're doing. They don't know why you're doing it, but they do it because you're the adult. It's the same way spiritually, and that's what Paul's talking about here spiritually. If you have an adult Christian, someone that spiritually is an adult, and you have the knowledge that there is no such thing as an idol, or that you can drink a beer and not be on the road to being drunk, that spiritually immature person does not have that knowledge. They don't understand that. They're going to mimic what you're doing. And whenever they mimic what you're doing, if they don't understand it, then they're in danger. There is a danger of them shipwrecking their faith. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Sacrifice through love. So much more important than making sure we exercise the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. It's exactly why our lives should be driven by love and not by liberty or the exercise thereof driven by the love of God that flows in and through us and out toward each other. We're not in this, and I've said it so many times, we're not in this walk by ourselves. We're here to edify, encourage, and lift each other up. And that's exactly what Paul just explained to the Corinthians. Yeah, you can do whatever you want to do, but rest assured, you run the risk of danger, or of putting those that you should be loving in danger 
their faith of being shipwrecked. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Paul's beautiful discussion on the freedom that we have as Christians, but also the dangers that are inherent within that freedom. Lord, let us love. We pray, Lord, that you would just encourage us to love more than anything, to make our lives sacrifices for each other, to help encourage and lift up young Christians who may not have the knowledge, but we love them and we love them well, Father. Help us to be a church that loves well, that teaches and encourages each other, that we don't live our lives for ourselves, but we make our lives, alive, or make our lives lives of sacrifice for you and for each other. And Father, may your spirit make it known to us what our actions may or may not be and what they should be. We just pray, Lord, that you would turn our hearts in that direction so that we would hear your voice and make corrections where they may be necessary, Lord, so that you may be glorified and that others would know what it means to be a Christian and grow into an adult, Christ-like person and that you be glorified. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and join together.